Section 10 of Dog Heroes of Many Lands. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Dog Heroes of Many Lands by Sarah Noble Ives. Jerry, a sea dog of the California coast. I'll never be able to take that walk around the summit, Carol. My nerves are completely upset. I'll be glad enough to get back to Detroit again, where things are flat and comfortable. The scenery is too much on end to suit me. Oh, mother, it is so beautiful. Think of those wonderful pines and redwoods in the mere wood, and then think about those little trees we call woods on Belle Isle. I just love it here. Well, maybe you do. You are young. One can be enthusiastic when one is fourteen years old and thin. All I can think of is that little crooked railway that ties itself into double bow knots all up and down the mountain. I'm sorry I came. And we've got to toboggan eight miles more to get back to Mill Valley, down those awful curves and precipice places, with nothing but one man and a break between us in perdition. What would happen, I'd like to know, if he should forget to set it, or if the thing should break? I declare, I've almost a mind to walk back. Why, dearie mother, it is just as safe as any railroad. Well, you may like Mount Tamalpe if you want to, but I stay in San Francisco until we go south, and that's all hills, too. I lose my breath every time I go shopping. If ever I get down this mountain alive, I'll never risk my bones again on anything but plain steam cars. You won't mind if I go around the top, will you, mother? Oh, I suppose you'll have to. But do be careful. Don't go near the edge, and shut your eyes when you look down. Mrs. Ballin, tourist and pleasure-seeker, settled back in an easy chair at the inn on the summit of Mount Tamalpay, making sure that she was where she could not see the edges of things, and proceeded to calm her feelings with a soothing nap. Carol wandered out and left the soft wind toss her hair and rumple her petticoats, while she looked out over the wonderful landscape that lay below and all around. "'Just like a big raised map,' she said aloud san francisco bay and the islands and capes and hills and things some day i'm going to live out here mill valley would be a fine place it's grand down there in the pines and when i want real air i can pop up here where it's all air and blue sky and brown earth and green bushes the girl wandered off up the path that led to the left around the rocky summit at a wooden bench by the side of the path she stopped and seated herself to take in the beauty of the scene her heart sang like a bird on a june morning for the sheer joy of living and seeing all this from her first mountain top she broke a twig from a manzanita bush that grew at her side just to fill the company of its green leaves in her fingers and leaned back against the rock swinging her happy feet and letting her idle glance follow the flight of a solitary bird dipping and rising as if he rode on billows of air you like it so engrossed was she with the ecstatic soaring of the bird that she had not noticed an elderly man who had seated himself at the other end of the bench. Now she looked at him. There was something about his solid carriage that commanded respect, something in his gray curling beard and his clear blue eyes that gave her confidence. A line from her favorite poet, she was studying English literature, flew to her head, and she almost said it aloud as she looked at him. Eyes grown dim with gazing on the pilot stars instead however of repeating this or answering his question she uttered the thought that had come with the verse you are a sailor sir the man laughed how did you guess little lady my uncle is a captain on the lakes 
he has eyes like yours a sailor does get a certain expression that's a fact comes from watching for rocks offshore and squalls off sea jerry here now he's got it too the sea look for the first time carol now saw lying at the end of the bench an irish setter elderly too at the sound of his name he rose to a sitting posture and looked up affectionately at the man he was a fine specimen of his breed his long narrow head was broad in the forehead and well arched in the cranium his ears were long pendulous and silky his coat a mahogany colour was soft and wavy his whole being bespoke kindness good sense and love his eyes yes there was in them that same long focus but the brown was dimming as if already he needed no sharp vision to see the end of his voyage oh is he your dog i saw him on the car coming up he's old isn't he yes yes he is old as dogs go but he's seen life and taken it as it came like a man and that's more than some of us do the sailor looked out over the brown hills for a moment and then went back to his first question you like it here oh so much it's all so new and different everything is so wide you can see miles and it's all blue sky up here and the country is so soft and brown and hazy and over there is a bit of the ocean just a streak beyond the hills as blue as blue and right down there over san francisco and the golden gate it is all a floor of fog just like rolls of cotton batting yes i know i know the pacific in sunshine and in fog it is queer about california fogs one side of the bay will be all buried in the mist and the other out in full sunlight something about the coast formation does it and they come and go suddenly the sailor sat still for a moment carol's gaze wandered back to the bird that was now soaring in great flights resting on its pinions so long that it seemed as if it must fall then with a rhythmic beat of its wings up it sailed again almost out of sight into the ether the man pointed with his finger to the northwest and the dog at his side seemed to follow and locate the very spot that his master indicated do you see that bit of blue there jerry could tell you something about those waters we've sailed them together many a time and once is jerry a sea-dog yes he is that we've been sea-dogs together out by that bit of blue now there's a point of land a cape like and offshore are some bird rocks you've seen some of them along the coast no well there are cormorants that come there and on a bright day you can see them on those rocks rows of them with their long black necks stretched out all in the same direction watching for fish and hundreds of gulls too flapping around in shore on one side of the point it is sandy beach and on the other it is rocky in fine weather the waves go sliding in and out treacherous and wicked-looking with trails of foam like snakes on their backs beyond the bird rocks are some other rocks that can only be seen at low tide when there's a storm at sea the waves pile up and break over them with a sound like cannon thundering and just as cruel if a ship should get sucked in there and out beyond these there are still other rocks that are never seen it looks fine from here but we've seen it close too jerry and i ay and felt it what's more oh have you really been in a shipwreck carol caught her breath and clasped her hands together ay twas the city of chester she went down off those rocks on as pretty a night as you ever saw and she's lying there now if the storms haven't taken her further out to davy jones's submarine shipyard 
Tell me about it, please. Carol went over to the dog and sat down cross-legged by his side, as if he knew a friend at sight. Jerry laid his nose on her knee and continued looking out toward the bit of blue water. Well, let me see. It was thirteen years ago. Jerry was a month-old puppy two years before that, when Captain Wallace brought him aboard. And from that time, until she went under, Jerry was shipped dog to the city of Chester. She ran on the coastline from Frisco to Vancouver, and was as plucky a little steamer as ever lived. I was first mate on her, and I helped train Jerry. He was a clipper in those days, and he navigated by his own chart entirely. Anything that wasn't shipshape, he'd find and worry. So it behooved us all, captain and crew, to keep our berths tidy. Grow? He grew fifteen knots an hour that first year, and everybody got to know him along the line. When we hove to in the slip, there wasn't a longshoreman anywhere but would yell, Hello, Jerry! The minute they saw his red head over the handrail. When work wasn't pressing, they would amuse themselves throwing things in the water for him to bring in. There wasn't anything he wouldn't tackle, even an empty barrel, and he'd tow it into port somehow. He was always right at the gangplank when it was let down, and he superintended the going ashore of the passengers and the coming aboard of the new ones. He never let his eyes off the freight till the Stevies had run it all off and stowed the next batch in the hold. He loved the winch. I set him on a bale of hay once when it was being lowered, and he went down into the hold with his paws clutched into the wires and looking worried and puzzled. But he came up on a trunk the next trip with an expression like a seraph. After that, you couldn't keep him away when he heard the hoisting engine start up. Many a ride he had after that, on things that gave him a foothold. The whole crew loved him, didn't they, Jerry? And he loved the crew. The captain and I were close-hauled and running, even for the, his first favor. After us came the cook, who had a hold on his heart through his bread-basket. Elsewhere, honors were even. Many a stormy night he walked the bridge with the captain or me according to the watch only turning in when we changed off or one or the other of us went below to get a cup of coffee from the cook's galley or a hot lemonade all the passengers took notice of him and those who made the trip often grew to be quite friends with him one galoot tried to coax him off i was watching unbeknown ready to pounce if need be but no the city of chester was jerry's ship and its crew were his people he had no particular use for landlubbers except to pass the time of day with them. He'd go ashore with Captain Wallace or me, however, and would quite enjoy a little run up Geary Street or Market or along the docks. Sometimes when we were tied up for loading and I had shore leave, I used to bring him up here, and those were the times when he nearly went crazy with joy, racing through the scrub and chasing squirrels and butterflies and rolling on his back in the dirt. He certainly did enjoy a touch of real freedom, and it's because of those times that I bring him up here occasionally. He's too old now to run, but he likes to look off across the hills toward that strip of blue. I think he dreams of the city of Chester and his life there. It was in March 19. Jerry was two years old, I remember, and a beauty. You can see, if you are a judge of dogs, that he has all the points. There came aboard at Vancouver a young lady bound for Frisco. Her name was Miss Frances Dewing. About your size, I should think she was, though maybe three or four years older. You made me think of her as, as I hove alongside. 
reckon that's why i spoke to you evidently she had a love for dogs and i think there's something wrong with anyone who hasn't she took to jerry like a connoisseur and he knew her for a friend and a good fellow she was the only passenger i ever saw him regularly make up to they made a fine voyage of it together and when we reached frisco it was a toss-up whether he would go with her or stay with us captain wallace gave him the chance just to see and it finally ended up in his leaving her carriage and walking up the gangplank of his own accord but he sat on the deck and howled for about five minutes after she had gone i reckon the captain wouldn't really have let jerry go and i do know he was tickled at the way he chose to stay with us who had brought him up and educated him did he ever see the girl again carol's eyes were bright and eager as she looked up at the sailor man yes indeed and that's the very story i'm coming to she was down at frisco to do some easter shopping and then she spent a week at palo alto and in april she came aboard again to make the trip home jerry nearly wiggled out of his skin with joy when he saw miss doing again and she shook hands with me and the captain as if we were old friends we were due to leave port at eight p m and it was as fine an evening as ever was it was warm hardly a breath of wind and the bay was like glass there was a full moon coming up over oakland and not a cloud anywhere when we swung out through the golden gate we met some rollers coming in that told us there had been a storm somewhere off at sea they were high enough so we had to shut the portholes to larboard but on the starboard side everything was as cozy as a back parlor all the passengers that had any sea legs at all were cuddled about watching the moon and this tamalpe but there are always a few who take to their berths first thing on principle we were steaming along in a fine fettle miss doing was leaning against the rail watching the shore when jerry and i strolled along she called to him and he went over to be patted and i followed we stood there and she asked me a lot of questions about the fairy gardens under seas in these parts ever been out in the glass bottom boats at monterey or catalina no well don't go back east without doing that it's another world the waters along those california shores are washing over a wonder of palm groves and waving kelp with big round shiny heads and every kind and color of seaweed and there are purple and crimson sea urchins pretty enough to pet if they weren't so prickly and starfish and anemones and abalones and big fishes sailing along slow waving their tails as if they were seaweed too i'll bet anything if we could look down into some of the places where they haven't been scared away we'd see shoals and shoals of mermaids and mermen too disporting themselves as happy as the fishes well i was telling miss dooling all about these things when i saw some long gray fingers beginning to reach up across the sky out of the southwest then whole handfuls came sweeping up and in next to no time the moon and the land were gone and we were lost in one of those sudden low fogs that come up out of nowhere along the coast so thick it was you could see where your breath made a hole in it it came so quickly that the passengers stopped talking and left their mouths hanging open it was as if we had been shut off from the whole of creation swaying there mid-seas on those long slow rollers our visible points of reckoning were cut off without a warning and we were none too far from shore captain wallace rang orders to the engine room to slow down and the boatswain started to take soundings in a minute the forward watch shouted breakers to starboard 
and the ship was swung a bit to port we were just off the bird rocks when the fog closed in and had been running rather close to shore to gain time in the fine weather just that little minute when we lost our bearings did the mischief before we could get out of our gate there was a lurch and a tearing sound down in the innards of the ship and then she righted herself but with a list as if she was nursing a wound one of those submerged rocks had stabbed her then for a minute a lunatic asylum wasn't in it the passengers all came shrieking to know what had happened and the captain left me in command on deck while he went below to see what had really been done she had slipped clear of whatever hit her and when the captain came up he looked mighty grave he said to me slow and quiet get out the life belts and clear away the boats quick in a minute the whistle was shrieking harder than the foghorn and rockets were shooting up there wasn't any wireless then but we did the best we could land was near and the lanes of oversea travel not so many miles away help would come soon and we needed it soon there was a whole stove in the starboard forward keel that meant about one hour left to us barely that the captain and i did what we could to keep the passengers quiet and they acted better than some would but there were things done that night that any man or woman ought to be ashamed of and would have been if they had kept their heads the life belt didn't go round steamers weren't fitted up as well as they were since the titanic disaster some people grabbed from others and there were fighting at the boats which it took the captain and me and the clerk and the head steward to put a stop to so we could load in the women and children as the last boat we had only four was being swung off the davits i saw miss doing standing watching them very quiet quick i yelled there's just room they were helping in a little bride who was sobbing because her husband couldn't go there was one more place and i started to lift miss doing in but she stepped back and said let that little wife have her husband i can swim and i am used to cold water in spite of my arguments she refused and i saw her draw herself up and look off into the mist calm and quiet as i lowered her away a man came rushing from the companionway stark mad with fear he tried to leap into the boat which was already full to the limit the captain grabbed him amidships and there was a struggle the man fought like a wild animal before anyone could slip a hand to stop him both he and the captain were over the side still struggling i saw them when they came to the surface saw the crazy man strike the captain a blow that knocked him senseless and he fell clear and sank and we never saw him again then i knew that the command of the ship must fall to me and whatever happened i was captain until she went down not that i cared for the promotion coming in just that way the boats were clear now and the chester was settling fast people with life belts and anything they could find were leaping over the side to get away from the suction we could hear the faint sound of a whistle out of the murk far away something was coming to our assistance but it would be too late for some all this time jerry had been running up and down as excited as any one and trying to understand what the trouble was he ran from man to man of the crew then to me again and finally when the boats were all gone he found miss dewing standing very still by the rail seeing him she stooped and kissed him and put her hand on his head as if he was a comfort to her i hustled around and found an extra life belt 
and stepped up and told her to put it on. You'd better jump, I said, and get clear of the ship. She'll be under in ten minutes. Drop your shoes and your heavy petticoats. This she did as calmly as if she were going in swimming. Then, with a clear jump, as if she were used to it, she was gone. I could see her striking out with slow, even strokes away from the ship and into the fog. Jerry looked up at me and would have gone over after her, but I said, selfish, I think now, Jerry, old man, we're in command. We stand by the ship and go down together. We were alone now, and the deck was almost on a level with the water. It's a queer feeling one has, standing so still and so near death. It's a lonesome feeling, too. And yet I thought then, we have to go alone anyhow. And what better and cleaner place than the old Pacific? It was good to have Jerry there, though, I can tell you. Just to feel his old red muzzle in my hand heartened me. Then all at once the Chester gave a curious shake, a tremble-like, hoisted her stern, and slid to her everlasting grave, down in the kelp gardens. Jerry and I went down in the suck, and I was whirled over and over and inside out and upside down till my breath was fairly gone. And finally, in a fountain of bubbles, I popped up, gasping and spluttering. When I got my breath back, I saw through the mist, not far away, there was light enough from the moon above the fog, old Jerry shaking the water out of his eyes and settling into a stroke. Then I made out, here and there, gray dots. There were dozens of people all struggling in the water in such cries. God, I never want to hear them again. Now and then one would gasp and go under. I lighted on a bench that had come up and pushed it along to where two or three people were about exhausted. And I told them to hold on till help came. Then I said to Jerry, who was swimming alongside, Go find Miss Dewing. Instantly he turned and headed off in a different direction. I followed, for I had a feeling that he would find her. By this time I had my senses, so I realized that the noise that had been in my ears ever since I came up was the blast of a steamer's whistle. And in a space of time that seemed like an eternity, but was really very short. A great hole loomed out of the fog. The Oceanic it was who heard us bound for Honolulu, and a sweep of searchlight crept over the water where we were huddled. Then the boats, already lowered, dropped into the sea and darted toward us. The fog was clearing now so they could see us, and one by one the poor, chilled, shivering, exhausted things were picked up. Some were dead and floating in their life belts, others just alive. Nowhere could I see Jerry. All at once, someone cried from the deck of the Oceanic. Look, there's a dog. Save him, too. I turned my head and saw, on the crest of a long swell, Jerry, old Jerry, towing something that he held tightly in his teeth. It was Miss Doings's little red sweater, and little Miss Doing herself was inside it, but unconscious. He never let go till he was alongside the lifeboat, and they had lifted her in it. Then one of the men reached and pulled him in, too. And pretty soon, they had us all. All who were still on top. And we were taken aboard the Oceanic. And we were rubbed and dosed with hot drinks and rolled in blankets. Until such of us, pulled through, had got to be human beings once more. And that's the end of the story. Carol slipped her arm over the old dog's neck and sat silent a moment. What became of Miss Doing? Up in Vancouver. Married one of the survivors, and has three fine children. The oldest is a girl almost your size. 
she begged hard for jerry miss doing did and i put it up to him as his own master and he chose me again it's a life on the ocean way for jerry i've been captain of my own ship since then for ten years and every time we run into vancouver i go to call on the little lady it was christmas dinner last year and it's to be thanksgiving this fall if we can make it when i retire i've promised to run into harbor there and jerry yes said carol softly and jerry jerry will be sailing the uncharted ocean then i've promised him a burial at sea with honors where the chester sank over there in that bit of blue carol carol come back it's time to start that is mother calling thank you for the story i won't forget it yes mother i'm coming good-bye good-bye jerry the bird in the air was not alone now there were two wheeling and calling to each other now they dipped down swiftly and disappeared in the shadows of a grove of live oaks end of section ten recording by april six zero nine zero california united states of america